This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Outside the box. Hello and welcome to August's Outside the Box. I think this might technically be the second Outside the Box of August since we did July's quite late, I think. I don't know. Who cares? Welcome, Jen Offord. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, well, we just had we a have discussion. Our notes. Sort of all right, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's say for the listener that Mickey, no, then. Hello. See, if I do it in the wrong order, Jen, or the different order, Mickey doesn't say something bad shit. <laughs> you have to start harsh. switching it up. You have to start harsh. switching yeah. it up, Hannah. I thought you two yeah. loved my uh, quirky greetings. Yeah, I do. I missed I do. them. I just did it in the wrong. Where are they? I did it in the wrong order. Bring them back. Um, not. Not that there's a right order. What's up? Sorry. <laughs> Bye. Shall we start by talking about the strikes, which since we last did a podcast have grown enormously. Mm. It started off as a writer's strike. The actors have joined them, meaning that work has ground to a halt over in America Interestingly, it does have some impact over here, not just in what we see on the telly. I mentioned this in the mail out. Sign up for the mail out if you haven't already. I'm not allowed to interview. Not just me. That would be weird. Um, (laughs) There's a Hannah ban. Ban Hannah. (laughs) We, the journalism community, are not allowed to ask any questions of actors about anything that they have made under contracts for any of these organisations that are on strike in America, regardless of their members or not. For example, spoke to Duma Keegan and Nina Sasania, separate interviews, both coming up. Couldn't ask either of them about good omens. So in America, if you're a journalist, you're now in a situation where it's really easy to get hold of an actor. You just can't ask them fuck all, (laughs) which must be unbelievably frustrating. Saw a lovely picture of John Hamm out on the picket line, holding a sign that said, that's what the money's for, which is Glorious. rather lovely. Jen, you won't get this. Uh, that's what the money's for is is a classic Don Draper I line. I assumed as men. much, but um, yeah. Yeah. So, Emmys. I don't know uh, how that's going to be affected by the strikes. I think probably I should look into that because it seems to me every chance that they won't be held as a proper ceremony. Yeah, yeah, because surely, like, what do you ask them on the red carpet, I suppose, what are you wearing? Who also, you wearing? How, how do you give a speech without promoting the piece of work that you're that, Yeah, being awarded an for. An award yeah. for. Yeah. Emmys are interesting this year in as much as I don't think there may have been, but I don't think there's ever been a year in which one company has dominated the nominations as much as HBO dominate this time. Mm-hmm. The Last of Us, Succession, White Lotus, Barry and House of the Dragon all have a lot of nominations. I mean, Succession and The Last of Us have a lot, a lot. They are amazing, though. Four out of five of those. Incredible. Well, I mean, House of the Dragon isn't even that great. And that's, I'm assuming a lot of those... not in my five. <laughs> uh, but I'm assuming a lot of those are the technical awards mm-hmm. that it's picking up. For example, the Best Supporting Actor category only contains actors from either Succession 
or White Lotus. Mm. And you're furious, right? Because we're Stephen Root. <laughs> well, see, this is the thing. I'm not really going to talk that much about them because I am furious. Now, Stephen Root should be in the um, in the comedy section for Barry. He should be in the Best Supporting Actor, and he's not. I mean, what the fuck? I know. That's he's insane. so good in it. He's and particularly in that last series, he's the best thing in it. Hello. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm he really singing is. Singing to the choir. And also, how has Stephen Root gone this far without never having an Emmy nomination before now? Should we make him an Emmy, Hannah, you and me? We can make one from Plaster of Paris or something and send it over to him. I think so. I think the only thing to say is perhaps Barry is about to contribute towards perhaps another, maybe even a lead role in something, in which case potentially that'll be the time he gets it. But I don't know. Yeah, I would mostly skip over this. Ted Lasso's got a few, which is surprising, Mm. given that everyone seems to think this was not a great series of Ted Lasso. want to mention a couple of things. Melanie Linsky, hooray, has two Emmy nominations. One for Best Actress in Yellow Yellow Jackets, Jackets, which I'm guessing will probably go to Sarah Snook, that award. And one for Best Supporting Actress in... The Last of Us. The Last of Us. So, yeah. And the only other one that I wanted to mention, and this is the one I would put my money on if they, anyone here actually took bets on Emmys other than in the major categories, which is something that I said way back when I watched it. Dominic Fishback got one for Donald Glover's Swarm, as I said she should, because she is absolutely fucking cracking in it, regardless of the fact that I think Swarm isn't that great. She was amazing in it. So she is the person I have my fingers crossed for. And if you can find a, a bookies that's taking money on the Emmys, she'd be the one I put my money on because I believe she's eight to one, which is pretty good odds for someone who I can't imagine not winning, if I'm honest. Also exciting news, lots of things are back this week. We're going to be talking about some of them, but only slightly because we've only had a few episodes. Winning Time back this week, Whoop. Only Murders in the Building back this week, Whoop. and it's Wednesdays we record. And Jen, Annika, which I believe you really like, is also back today. No. I didn't, yeah. Okay, well, it's back this week. <laughs> you have to watch more of it. Yeah, Jen, if, if you fancy just having an awful time, there you I go. I watched one episode of it and it was it was more than my stomach could bear and uh, I, I didn't return. Did you not like it because it made you a bit queasy then? Yeah. Rather than it wasn't very good, right, okay. Because yeah. I'm guessing it must be quite good. It's got Nicola Walker in it. And Kate Dickey. Maybe. I, I never yeah. found out. <laughs> okay. Where should we start? Shall I maybe start quickly with Good Omens since I've mentioned it? And that's what I couldn't talk to Dune or Nina about it. Back on Amazon Prime, six episodes, season two. Season one was in 2019, based on an idea by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett and written by Neil Gaiman and some other people. Terry Pratchett, obviously, no longer with us. And starring David Tennant and Michael Sheen as a demon and an angel, respectively, called Crowley and Aziraphale, who are on Earth solving Earth's problems and have sort of teamed up. It's very quirky. It's very Terry Pratchett. It's a little bit Coen Brothers. It's a little bit Wes Anderson. It's a little bit Paddington. Oh, I was not expecting Suddenly that in this, mate. <laughs> in that it's got a very sort of cartoonish, but in a nice way, view of what London is, the way Paddington has. Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's got a massive cast and actually a lot of the same actors back, even though they're not in the same roles. This series focuses more on John Hamm's Gabriel. I mean, hooray. But I have (laughs) to say, 
the central story is not strong in this one. They seem to have wanted to come back. And I understand why they want to come back, because it was a shitload of fun, the first one. But I don't think they've really justified a second series. Nonetheless, there is some good stuff to enjoy. There's actually a League of Gentlemen reunion in one episode. Oh. We get all three of those on screen at the oh, same not, time. Not all four of them, but all three of them. That's okay. Although Jeremy Dyson wrote that bit. There are sort of separate stories going on within stories. What I found really interesting was it decided right at the end of this series to actually ask what this relationship is between the angel and the demon, between Michael Sheen's character and David Tennant's character. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is about to go in a really interesting way that I wasn't expecting it to go in. And then it reversed back from that. And not because I don't think it was bold enough to do it, but because I think that they've got their eye on a third series and the third series is going to be, what is this relationship about? And I don't want to see the idea that these two might not just be really good friends. I don't want to see that stretch for another series. I like the idea that they were going to deal with it as a snap decision and mm-hmm. that they were going to realise something rather than it become like, you know, moonlighting <laughs> stretched out <laughs> over this huge period of time. So I don't know. It is worth a watch, but it is absolutely not as good as the first one. But yeah, it's got a lot of fun people in it doing a lot of fun things. Derek Jacobi, Miranda Richardson, all sorts of great people. Lovely stuff. Okay, so now I thought we might mention, are you lads still watching? And just like that? Yes. It's not finished yet. Is it not finished? No. No. Tell me your feelings. How's it going? Okay, thanks. Moving on. <laughs> oh, well, okay. I have different feelings to Jen then. Okay. So with the huge caveat, and the huge caveat, number one, it took five episodes for me to start feeling like this. So, you know, there's got to be a lot of willpower and determination to get you to episode five. Well, a whole and... series and five episodes. So how far in are you, Mick? Are you in series five, the last one you've watched? No, I watched episode seven. Okay. And with the other huge caveat that they are now entirely unrelatable because they are so freaking wealthy every single one of them and money has just become sort of no object to them at all and while it was ridiculous that Carrie lived in that apartment while writing a column a week throughout the whole of Sex and the City it's just like she's like a multi-millionaire now and she hangs around with other multi-millionaires it is it is a little bit bonkers but episode five Felt like a Sex in the City episode. It was quite funny. It was warm. They dealt with some stuff. It is still hugely flawed, but I laughed so much more than I've done since it came back. Which one is that? Is that the one with the uh, the ghost semen? No, that's episode four, I think, with the okay. ghost semen. Episode five is when the three of them go to the bar to kind of pick up guys. Okay. Carrie ends up knocking someone off his bike yes okay yeah so yeah it felt that warmth that nostalgia was very much there for me um and it's not trying to be as kind of in your face woke for want of a better word Mm. as the first series was i don't think so far for me miranda is getting a bit more of a backbone again and cynthia nixon has directed some of the episodes and some of the ones i really liked have been her at the director's helm or in the director's chair. So yeah, there's actually been a lot more for me to like than uh, 
last series and indeed the first four episodes of this. But, you know, that is that is a huge hurdle to jump over mm. to get to that. But yeah, and it's it's flawed in the way that Sex in the City was flawed as well. But I, 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 I like it. You know, I'm going to stick with it. I do think they're about to fuck it up because Aiden's just come back and I feel like they're going to rewrite 25 years of Sex in the City history. But I don't know yet. I think I dislike it more than I disliked series one. I will stick with it because I just, I will. But I feel like the first one was kind of like so bad it was almost enjoyable. And this one, I just don't think there's anything redeeming about it really at all. Like I didn't, there was one episode that I thought was like kind of funny. But apart from that, it's just, it's just not funny. And I read this thing the other day that was like, why are we all still watching it? Is it because it's so bad it's good? And I don't I don't even think it's that. I don't and apparently one of the writers, Samantha Irby, had said in an interview at some point that she thought it was um a bit ungenerous to assume that they're not in on the joke. But it's like, what joke? <laughs> no, I, I can't see any joke in this series. I just Yeah, I don't know why I'm still watching it. What do they I mean will. by not in on the joke? I know you've just basically said that you don't understand that, but what do you think she's trying to say there? That they have kind of made it like so bad it's good, I think right. is what she meant. But I don't. I mean, it's... it's incredible to have a fan base so loyal that they are watching this even though they don't like it, which is what appears to be, from what I can see in sort of chat, either on social media or in articles. I keep seeing headlines that are basically like, "Are oh, we all hate watching this now or what?" I'm not even hate watching it. Like it's not even like it's not even appealing enough to hate watch. I, don't, I just I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I feel like the central three characters, and obviously we're a woman down, and for most people, mm. or for a lot of people, one of their favourite women down. But I feel like Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda are almost like caricatures now of Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda, mm. and I think that might be what they mean by don't you think we're in on the joke? Don't forget we're in on the joke kind of thing. That's kind of comforting. Like Charlotte's daughter, Lily, has just announced that she's ready to lose her virginity and she's planned this whole thing, which is the most Charlotte thing that a character could do because that control freak nature of Charlotte and everything have to be having to be perfect. So I think it is sort of a caricature of itself in some ways. I don't think Miranda has come back to being Miranda fully yet. I always found Charlotte more likeable after she met Harry. The character became a lot more likeable once that union occurred. Carrie is probably more likeable than she was in the original series because she's mm-hmm. less self-obsessed. But, like, I don't like what they've done to Miranda. Some of the new characters, like, Shay is awful. Yeah, I think I d- we're allowed to all hate Shay, right? Yeah. I don't love Seema. And what they seem to have done is, like, they've made Naya shit this series and I don't know why. I don't think Naya's shit. I think I she's think just they've... going for a divorce. No, I think they've made her really like... I feel like they've gone, oh, we went too far with Miranda. Let's offset her by making someone else a bit shit. I don't know what they've done to her this series. They've made her suddenly like... Oh, I don't know. I'm not loving it. I, d- I think she's quite enjoying her independence. So, for any listeners who aren't watching, and for Hannah who isn't watching... Naya had been with her husband since they were very, very young and they're just getting a divorce and she's not going out and shagging around. She's had one one night stand. But, you know, Valentine's Day, all her mates were like, oh, can we look after you? And she was like, no, I'm going to stay at home and make a souffle. And she did. I feel like she's quite independent and not man fixated. What I will say is I don't know whether they've heard how much Hannah hates it. 
and they're trying to lure Hannah Dunleavy in specifically. But there was a storyline in the episode that I really enjoyed, episode five, which was based all around the Americans and the fact that no one had seen really? this no one has seen this amazing series and Harry and Charlotte went to a fancy dress party as the Americans and everyone kept going, who are you? And they were like, it's one of the best things on television. Why yeah. haven't you watched it? I think that was the episode I liked. They were good in that. Yeah. I mean, watch the Americans. As Harry and Charlotte say, watch the Americans. It's, it is brilliant. Yeah. Agreed. So let's talk about one of the things back this week. Mick, have you had a chance to watch Winning Time? mainly been watching kitten tv and by that i mean you can't not watch a kitten because he is mental the ratio slipped a bit now he's 45 percent cute 55 percent absolute chaos so no i've watched very little okay well i mean i'm gonna do this in a relatively spoiler free way given that the only spoilers in it are the spoilers of things that you should probably know actually happened it's history so. isn't it it's real life okay so winning time back on sky for series two I think there are eight or ten episodes this series. I haven't actually checked that. It's an hour long. It's HBO. Tells the story of the LA Lakers in their Showtime, in quotes, era, made by Adam McKay. I've said all this stuff many times before. You either want to watch it or you don't. Jen, you haven't watched it, which I'm really surprised by because because you actually like... I did watch an episode with my mum and she wasn't on board. So then we didn't return to it. And there were too many other things that I had to watch when I wasn't with my mum, like Succession. So, right. It went. Okay. Well, the second series started on Monday and it is already fucking wonderful. Yeah. I just love it. I put a really interesting article in the mail out that USA Today's sport guys had written about how actually there's a comparison to how Adam McKay's running this to how the Lakers actually were run in the 80s. And they played really, really fast basketball. And this is really, really fast television. It's really kinetic. It opens in 1984 and then goes back to 1980. But this series is going to be from 1980 to 1984. So it's really piling through history really quickly. But it's already doing it brilliantly. And it opens with this scene where their bus is being surrounded by Boston fans or their coach, their team coach is being surrounded by Boston fans. And some of it is shot, you know, as you would shoot something. Some of it is shot like it's done through CCTV cameras. Some of it's shot in an old grainy way. So it looks like it's contemporary news footage. And it just brings a level of sort of speed to it. That's Mm. just incredible. It's all going on and it is so fast. It absolutely looks beautiful. You can see there are two things sort of lining up for this series. Number one is Jason Segel is playing this this thing that he calls the system, which is about, you know, just getting the ball to the guys, not even bouncing it, not dribbling it, just getting it up there and banging it in. And the clash comes with Pat, who's played by Adrian Brody, who wants to play a more flexible, improvisational form of basketball. And again, there's the lined up clash between Magic Johnson and his style and attitude in life and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's attitude and style in life. And fatherhood is going to play a big role. Anyway, there's this bit where Magic Johnson goes out on court and to prove the point that he is just playing for himself, he is playing the game, but they've taken everything out. They've taken the crowd. They've taken... He's just on his own on this court playing and it's intercut with shots of him playing basketball as a kid with Adrian Brody on the bench with the crowd going mental 
and I Feel Love by Donna Summers playing over the top of it. So it's like he's dancing. Oh, it's a beautiful scene. And then it comes to a crashing stop, at which point he fucks his knee up, which, again, you should know because it's history. To be honest, it works really well, but I could have carried on watching the rest of that, just watch him play basketball like that for absolutely ages. The basketball in Series 1 is just so beautiful. It's so fun to watch them playing basketball and and sometimes when it's a series or a film about a sport you can't capture how it is to actually watch that sport but I think they do it so amazingly and actually enhance it in Mm. winning time and it's also really funny I mean this episode ends with I mean they break the fourth wall a lot but with with Magic Johnson looking straight into the camera and saying about Larry Bird I don't like this motherfucker (laughs) it's just beautifully done it's Quincy Isaiah great performance by him so yeah I mean it's easy to make basketball analogies about this because it's all about teamwork they've got a really really deep bench and it's building to 1984 which is really significant not just for the Lakers but actually for for Los Angeles because it's when the Olympics were but if you sort of look at questions of why did the 1992 riots start, I mean, the Hitler invaded Poland answer to that question is Rodney King got beat up in the street. But the we appeased Hitler answer to that question is in 1984, the police were really heavy handed, really heavy handed because they wanted everything to go really well in Los Angeles during the Olympics. So it's a really it's a year of high tension that's coming as well. So, yeah. Bloody love it. Absolutely love it. I told the husband that it was back and he was very excited. And he said, has Hannah watched it? And I went, of course, Hannah's watched it. And he went, did she like it? I said, we're in for a treat. And so, yeah, excited. Yeah. Okay, so I'm guessing you also haven't seen Only Murders in the Building, which is back, Mick. I haven't, but there are two episodes of that. There are two episodes oh, When I finally to get to watch television, you know, once the baby will settle, then <laughs> I'm very, I've got so much to plough through. It's very exciting. Okay, well, I might just leave it at that with only murders in the building and say, it's back. Hooray. And we'll talk about it next time. Hooray. Just before we go to a break, something I did want to say. Nothing for Selena Gomez at the Emmys either, which, yeah. Have Steve Martin Short been uh, nominated? Martin Short has. Okay. Yeah, Martin Short has, but nothing for Selena Gomez, which is incorrect. Rude. I would say, rude, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Jen. Now, the BBC generally (laughs) puts an absolutely stinking turd out over the summer because it assumes we're all on holiday or watching sport or, you know, at Glastonbury, all of those things. You said to me that you were going to watch something called Wolf and I pre-warned you that it might well be the stinking turd of this summer. I actually watched an episode and agree with myself. So why don't you do the talking <laughs> on it? Well, I've watched one episode as well, so I'll see if you agree with me. So Wolf is a BBC detective drama based on the Jack Caffrey novels by Mo Hader. Jack Caffrey, played by Gwaley Roach, has recently returned to London from Wales after the release of the man he suspects of abducting and killing his brother as a child is released from prison for a separate offence. This guy has never been brought to justice. Q nightmares, unresolved beef and a very mardy temperament. Haven't I seen you somewhere before? So far, so predictable. 
Elsewhere in Wales, where he had been living, there's some other shit going down, notably some mysterious murders. The Donkey Pitch murders happened a while ago, and now as we approach the fifth anniversary, some posh people are being terrorised in their own home by some police who they didn't actually call to investigate the intestines they've just found hanging up from a tree in their garden. Now... Jack is off to Wales by total coincidence and a dog with a note attached has been found by someone seemingly unrelated. That's as far as I've gotten. So on the plus side, what I'd say is this has a great cast. She's not been in it yet, but I love her from other things I've seen her in. Sean Reese williams I1, is that how you say it? I1 Rion, yeah. I1 Rion, Sasha Dewan, Juliet Stevenson, Owen Till, I could go on. On the downside, there is a lot going on and we're being asked to ignore quite glaring potholes, quite glaring plot holes, like, hang on, why are you here, police? I also felt like the general mood of it was very Luther-esque and also... There are some pretty grim moments if, like me, you are a bit on the squeamish side. Like Luther, it's pretty jumpy. So maybe give this a swerve if you are of a nervous disposition. I'm undecided, but the reviews I've read say stick with it even if you don't want to. So possibly I will. Yeah, a bit of coercive control from from reviewers there. Even if you hate it, just put up with it. I mean, what else is on? In fairness, she's watched a series and a half of I'm Just Like That and she's still here. So, you know, maybe that was directed at Jen. That is a good point. Yeah, I thought it was mean. I thought it was mean-spirited. I thought it was... Mean-spirited? Interesting. Sadistic. And I think you're supposed to be surprised about the cops, but the minute one of them was played by Iwam Rion, I mean, he might as well have been carrying a sign that said, I'm a fucking psychopath. The minute they turn (laughs) up, for no reason, just after something awful has happened in their garden, like... I mean, maybe I guess you could argue maybe these people are a bit... You know, they've just found some intestines hanging from a tree. You know... Maybe they're not in their right mind to be asking questions. But you're just like, why are you here? This is weird. The whole thing just seemed to be full of plot holes. And I just, yeah, I fully hated it. It was exactly (laughs) what I told you it was going to be. And I don't know why I watched it other than I fell down a pothole. I think it's meant to be sort of stylish, but I do think it is. I have just watched, as you both know, the, uh, the Luther film. Because, as Mickey suggested, Hijack made me giddy. (laughs) Um, more on that later I was just like this is so like Luther in so many ways that I actually checked to see who the production company was because I was like it must be made by the same people it isn't but yeah there's nothing on ITV Jen because I think they absolutely spaffed all their drama that they'd made for a year in about three weeks when they first launched ITVX and now all that's on appears to be reality TV so Great for the BBC to give you a turd to watch. I have been waiting since January for some proper shit on ITV and they just haven't delivered and I'm disappointed. Um, There's a lot of stuff that was on at the launch of ITVX that they're now showing on TV, Mm. which is confusing. But like I say, everybody watched it all when it was, yeah, Yeah. first on. Do you want to tell us about Hijack? Well, you're in flow. I fucking... Love it. Like, love it <laughs> so hard that it made me watch Luther the film, which is dog shit, by the way, on every possible level. But what I realised when I watched it was that Idris Elba is consistently really good at acting. 
He's really good at acting, but he's consistently in awful things. So there he is, like, acting his little socks off, and you're just like, you can't polish a turd, it just, do you know what I mean? But anyway, Hijack is fucking brilliant. I love it. It's just like, it's seven episodes, and it's just like, bam, 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 bam. And the last episode is the worst episode, to be fair. But I was absolutely gripped by it gripped by it and it is so silly so silly (laughs) but like this is something that's so bad it's good it's fantastic i love it i just like everyone must go and watch it i insist that you watch it it is on apple but like apple are giving away so many like have six months for free because no one wants to pay for it so like find whatever six months for free deal you can get maybe it's with barclay card maybe it's with sky because lads i've been offered a few of these uh, like, there's a lot of them going around and go and watch Hijack you will not be disappointed it's fantastic I loved it thank you Jen are you going to watch I it actually again, might Jen? you know like I just <laughs> I might it just is so silly it's brilliant that you just like you're so clever Sam Nelson how are you so clever Sam Nelson played by Idris Elba the executive producer how are you so good at this it's brilliant Sorry, I mean, I was tempted because I love a bit of shit, as you know, a bit of really bad, so bad it's good. But I was hanging on for Severance to come back and then I was going to pay for Apple and watch it during that period. But Severance is now on writing hiatus. They didn't get it done in time, so uh, it may be a while. I mean, it, it may be, Jen, that when... Things are really bleak if this goes on and on and on and there's no TV. That I might not just watch it. It might be the best thing on TV by the time I do watch it. It may may have gone up. Yeah, It's the best thing I've seen in a while, let me tell you. So I watched The Bear, which was initially something that Mickey recommended to me. And Mm -hmm. season two started a couple of weeks ago, I think. All released in one go on Disney. What I will say is it seems perfect for a binge, but you actually can't binge it. There's a roadblock to binging it, which is in... I mean, you can, but I don't think you can. Because in the middle of it, there's... These are generally somewhere between about half an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, There's an hour-long episode which takes place in in the past. A a Berzato family Christmas, which is absolutely horrific and really quite traumatic to watch and afterwards you need to take a bit of a break from the bear because it's too much is that the one episode called fishes i've seen people talking about fishes a lot. i don't know i don't know no i think it's called the basato family christmas or something okay that makes more sense to what you've just said in fairness there are a lot of cameos in this whole series but there are a lot in that just in that episode bob odenkirk sarah paulson oh hello yeah Oh, uh, John Mulally, who's my favourite cameo in this, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who actually appears as as their mum in a couple of episodes. Elsewhere, there's Olivia Coleman and Will Poulter. So, yeah, they really are bringing in the guest stars. So for anyone who hasn't watched it, it's about a really sort of swanky, properly trained, whatever, five-star chef. I don't even Michelin star chef. I don't really understand the terminology of it. Kami Bersato, who goes back to Chicago to take on his family business, which is failing after the suicide of his older brother. 
Mickey and I discussed, and I'm sure a lot of other people discussed, that the ending of the first one didn't actually make a great deal of sense. They found a lot of money and went, oh, we can build our restaurant. But they also owe the character played by Oliver Platt the same amount of money. So it wasn't actually going to make any sense. They have kind of fixed that problem by borrowing more money. It has got absolute rave reviews, this series. There are accusations that it is style over substance. And I'm going to actually say I kind of agree with that. You know, there are gorgeous shots of food, uh, like, Carby wears some great clothes. Apparently, the blue cable knit jumper that he wore in Series 1 was one of the most Googled things last year. People going, where can I buy that jumper? (laughs) So it's got a very sort of GQ sort of stylistic feel to it. It also gets called original a lot. And it's it's absolutely not. In fact, it's quite derivative. Carby's relationship with Sid, his co-creator... That's very, very Don and Peggy. And a lot of the way the episodes are shot are basically lifted from the Stephen Graham film Boiling Point, which is done in one single take. And in parts, it's really, really underwritten. In fact, Michael Stipe does a lot of heavy lifting in The Bear. He does it in the first series and he's back again here. He brings a lot of the emotion. So, yeah, I think it is absolutely flawed. However, that said... I really liked watching it. There's a really nice episode where the pastry chef goes to Copenhagen. Now, albeit I'm going to Copenhagen soon, so it was interesting to watch. And he just hangs out with Will Porter and learns how to make desserts. That's a lovely episode. Richie, who is a problem, a real problem, because what are they going to do with Richie? Because he's <laughs> such a dick that he's becoming unwatchable. It's such they a fix dick. that problem as well. Yeah, successful. I would definitely watch it again, but it's not quite the absolutely original and incredible and brilliant thing that it's sold at but it's very very watchable i've heard very good things about it you are going to watch it aren't you when when you've got more time yes i am going to watch it yeah yeah jen what else have you watched i've only watched one other thing because uh i've been watching a lot of football and i've been quite busy um also not a huge amount not a huge no, I don't have loads to say about this, to be honest. I watched another BBC crime drama, which is something that I think was made by RTE, which is the uh, the Irish... Was it called um, Glutton for Punishment? Clean Sweep. So it was on in Ireland like a while ago, and it's just sort of come over here. And it is about a woman who's basically a bored housewife to a policeman and is confronted by someone from her past who obviously has some sort of dirt on her. I don't know what. Spoiler alert, although this does happen quite early on in the first episode, she kills him, and then her husband is sent to investigate the murder of this, to him, unknown man. Big tension there. It didn't hold my attention, I have to say. I don't think I'll be returning to it. Is it on the Beeb? It is on the Beeb, yeah. Okay. Yeah, RTE is like radio and television era. I think it's like the BBC like in the Ireland, BBC, isn't it? Yeah. In Ireland, yeah, yeah, absolutely that. Mickey, have you watched anything? I have. I have watched one thing. One thing apart from uh, Cats. I have. I mean, predictably, been watching a nature program on the BBC. But 
Hang on. It's not David Attenborough. It's not David Attenborough. And fair dues, he's 97 and he's presented about five nature <laughs> series in the last three years. They're really squeezing oh it God. out of him, that last bit of juice. I sometimes mind that I'm tired and then I think, oh my God, someone let that guy <laughs> just sit down. I know. I know. Like, whenever we're tired, I just think... He's got well, seas to save, guys. Going there, isn't he? he has. But this isn't his... Earth is a five-parter with Chris Packham. <gasps> oh, is he helm. auditioning for the role of David Attenborough? It's a good audition. I'm going to put that out there because we are in very capable him. hands indeed. Have you? Yeah. Oh, tell us. I served him a cup of tea when I worked in Portsmouth Sea Life Centre when I was at university. Love that he went to the Sea Life Centre. Of course yeah. he did, but big fan of that. <laughs> of course he did. Anyway, Packham these days is only a tiny bit less giddy than in his really wild show days but he is a confident charismatic and knowledgeable narrator looking as smart as he sounds in a button right to the top fred perry polo shirt he looks very very snappy like earth as a series is big it is big Packham isn't parting foliage to reveal a vole here. Oh no. Instead, he's charting the five biggest moments. He was. I love it when he does <laughs> the that. The five biggest moments in our planet's history. He does have a right in his pocket at one point. He's, he's what not have he do? everything. But yeah. So basically, it covers all 4.5 billion years of Earth's history from our very dramatic. You know, I thought winning time was moving fast. Jesus. <laughs> Just five episodes, Hannah. <laughs> Cram it in. There's less footage, to be fair, because, you know, cameras are a much more modern invention. Episode one, with the spoiler title, Inferno, starts at the beginning of the dinosaur's reign and works backwards. There is just the right amount of science info, like enough to thoroughly inform, but not enough to overwhelm. And it is all delivered in a very tight script, packed with fun facts. There used to be alligators in the Antarctic, backed by exciting visuals. Each episode covers something monumental that's happened to Earth. We've got Inferno, Snowball, Green, Atmosphere, and finally, potentially finally, Human. Now, Packham does his best to sound pretty hopeful in this episode. Hopeful that we can learn from past extinction events to stop the ever-increasing hurtle towards our own. But there is a real air of, lads, we fucked it, to this episode. And, you know, fair dues. And yet, as it is made clear throughout this brilliant series, Earth will continue. Life uh, finds a way. And Packham's thesis is that extinction boosts evolution. And losing most of the life on Earth has enabled everything we now know to exist. It just means that at this rate, we're probably not going to be here to see what's next. Cheery! Just, just, just to lighten the mood a little bit. I fucking love Spring Watch. Like, love it. Yeah. Like, really love it. <laughs> There's nothing like more joyous. He brings that energy. There's a, a bit where he puts his hand in a dinosaur footprint, and he is so excited. And like, it's brilliant because he has got that energy and that passion. So he, he does. A, he does a very good Attenborough. I like the kind of the tweeness of of mm. Spring Watch. You can almost imagine like this mouse or whatever they're looking at, just like with a little Disney brush, just sweeping up their house. It's just, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Packham, and, Packham and Strachan, love them together again. Packham and Strachan. I know they've been doing it for ages now, but what a time. What a time. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> I'll stop. Hannah, go on. Enjoy this time to be alive, Jen, because, it's I off. mean, we've not got long left. <laughs> I have one more thing to mention. It's a bit old, but 
I was in a house that had Netflix the other day, so I took the opportunity to watch the Wham documentary, which I think was mm. out in Ooh, July. Yeah. Not because I'm a fan of Wham, because I wasn't, but more because I find George Michael to be a really interesting human being. Yeah. And a really sort of interesting case study on, on yeah, I mean, he really mastered fame in a way that I don't think many people have still I think my favorite thing he ever did was when he rang in Richard and Judy um and went yep that was me so what um it's just (laughs) quality absolute quality behavior Mm -hmm. everything in this is their own words that they've given him and Andrew Ridgely have given interviews at some point and a lot of it sort of contemporaneous footage and news footage and shots like that and it's just them talking about when they were in Wham and yeah, I mean, I interviewed Pepsi and Shirley when they wrote a book. Mm. And their book was, mm. the most glorious thing about their book was just how, yeah, and then we had a Twix on the bus, it was, that just how they made fame sound so <laughs> unbelievably normal. And I suppose the first bit of that is, is sort of this, but it, it kind of lacks that a bit. I could have done with more stuff about China, because Ch- when, they, when they went to China, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, but what it is, basically, is a story about how George Michael couldn't be George Michael without the period that he went through with Andrew Ridgely. And I think uh-huh, the message yeah. is, you know, when we talk about, you know, friends that we used to have in the past, we have this kind of nature in us that you feel guilty and you're like, oh God, I should get back in touch with them. You know, because we have this really bonding experience of this together or this together and and I think the message I ultimately got from this was, you know, it's actually okay to move on. It's it's okay to have really intense times and friendships with people and then go in separate directions. And they've had a huge influence on your life and their influence will go on in your life. But you just don't need to hang out together anymore. And yeah, it's quite lovely in that sense. It gives Andrew Ridgely quite a lot of credit that he's never traditionally had. I think now, I mean, he was quite heavily involved in this. So maybe, you know, you could argue that, of course, that's going to be the case. But even, you know, they have George Michael saying as much, I didn't have the confidence to go on and be who I was unless this had happened to me first. So, yeah. I heard a very nice story the other week. My friend John told me there's some sort of anecdote about how when uh, Robbie Williams, when when George Michael took Robbie Williams under his wing after, after Take That, because he... He um, did a cover of his song, didn't he? Um, Freedom, Freedom, I think. Yeah. And uh, well, that's wild, apparently, isn't it? but yeah, I mean, not everyone's done a cover of Freedom. Mm. I've done a cover of Freedom. And I think that uh, apparently Robbie had said something disparaging about Andrew Ridgely, and George Michael was like, "No, I'm not having it. You're not saying anything bad about Andrew to me. Stop it." Yeah, there was a really interesting thing about about George Michael had come up with his plan that he was going to have four number ones and the Christmas number one, and he wrote last Christmas, and they were like in the bag. And then Band-Aid was released, of which he's also on. And he's well aware that it it deserved to be at number one. And there's him sort of talking about internal struggle with this. (laughs) Oh, God, I really want it to be number one, but it's not a good thing. And in fact, I think probably to punish himself for thinking bad thoughts about it, he actually gave, and I didn't know this, all of the money that last Christmas has ever made went to the same appeal fund that was set up by band-aid he'd never made a penny out of last christmas oh 
Yeah. It does seem like he was a really genuine yeah. really nice good guy. Things for people, didn't he? There was loads of stories after he died about how he just gave a waitress in a cafe like 10 grand or something, like yeah. just left her a, a check or something cuz because he was actually quite normal and he used to do things like watch Richard and Judy. Apparently, if people were on telly saying, <laughs> we need to go to America, our kids need to go to America and have this operation, he just used to ring up and say, yeah, I'll pay for that. As long as you don't tell anyone it was me, I'll pay for that. Aww. Yeah. What a yeah. man. Um, you know, better beaten to the Christmas number one spot by Band-Aid than True. like Mr yeah. Blobby or yeah. Bob yeah. the Builder. And it did go to number one, but not until after he died. Right. That's a point to end on, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I talk about the destruction of the planet again? Bring the mood up. Stoats. <laughs> Outside the box.